Good morning. If you are just joining us this week or just recently, you're coming in at a time when we're in a Holy Spirit series, and so we're going to continue on this. Let's pray. Father, um, as we are continuing on this series talking about the Holy Spirit, who is part of the triune God, we ask God for your empowerment, your equipping, for you to show us how you are present in our lives for us to recognize it in real time, not necessarily something that's so distant that we know you're working in our life, but we just see it after the fact. But God, we desire an immediate presence that we're living right now with you. And so can you help us to see that? Can you help us to feel it and to fully embrace the relationship that we have with you? In Jesus' name. Amen. So in the past several weeks, we've been looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, sometimes also known as the filling or the gifting of the Holy Spirit. And that is a relationship that believers of Jesus can have with the Holy Spirit. And it's when the Holy Spirit flows out of our lives, it overflows out of us. So that's what we've spent a few weeks looking at. And so today we're going to venture into looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. And so to look at this, we're going to look back to the verse that we started with when we started this Holy Spirit series, and that is John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, but we're going to look at it a little differently. So verses 16 and 17, let me read that for us. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now let's take a closer look at this phrase, another helper. And specifically the word another. And you're thinking like, what? We're going to look at the word another? Yes, because it's going to be fascinating, and I think you're going to gain something out of this. The Greek word for another here is the word alos which means another, but it's another in terms of the same, meaning it's the same quality, the same type, the same order, the same kind. This is really important. This is important to keep in mind because when we're defining another, we need to figure out if the text is talking about another in terms of the same kind or if it is using the word another in terms of defining something of a different kind a different quality, a different order, which is a totally different Greek word, and that Greek word is heteros, like hetero, all right? So you see this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 21. When the word another is used, it says, another of disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now the Greek word in that text for another is heteros, meaning another, but not of the same kind. So it's another, but it's different, a different nature, a different kind, a different type. The disciple was another disciple. He was different from the 12. So, you know, last week I went to Fresh Yogurt in Palo Alto with my wife. Anyone gone there? If you haven't, you're missing out. You're just missing out. You need to go to Fresh Yogurt. It is the best froyo I've ever had. It's made out of Greek yogurt, which is healthier. So that's why I ordered a larger quantity and so I ordered a regular size as opposed to a kid size 
if I went to a Froyo place that was not Greek yogurt, that's so bad for you, and I would order a kid size. But this one's Greek yogurt, so I ordered a regular sized, and I ordered the natural flavor. That's what I like. I like that little sour thing, and, and I ordered it with chocolate because there it's a big block of chocolate, and they shave it, and it's just really yummy. And they put it around top, and it's so good. And, and then I ordered mochi because mochi there is very yummy. Anyway, the guy right before me, he's in line, and he ordered the last mochi. And so the gal informed me that he ordered the last mochi after I already ordered the mochi. I'm upset. And she tells me the next batch doesn't come back out until 15 minutes. There's part of me that wanted to wait the 15 minutes because if I waited, then I would get fresh mochi and that would be really delicious. But I didn't want to wait. And so I was just there heartbroken. And so then she offered me another topping in place of mochi. So I ordered mango. Mango is a heteros topping. Right? That is another topping, a different quality from mochi, a different type, a different kind, a different class, a different nature, just totally different and not fresh mochi. It's not the same. But when they called my order, she redeemed her false promise to me. She gave me another froyo. And they gave me an alos froyo because they gave me exactly the same one. They gave me a regular, natural flavored with chocolate shavings and mangoes. It is another, and it is the same. It is alos. Did I just confuse you more, or does it make sense? John chapter 14, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another alos helper. Not a different one. The same. The same nature, the same class, the same kind, the same type, the same quality. Jesus is saying that the helper, the Holy Spirit, the same divinity, the same. The Holy Spirit is God. He is co-equal. He is co-eternal with the same attributes of God the Father and God the Son. So another helper, and the disciples would need another helper because Jesus was going to be nailed to the cross and no longer with them physically. And so he told them he was going away and that they couldn't go with him. And they didn't quite understand what he was saying. They thought that Jesus was going to rule. He was going to take over the kingdom. He was going to rule and reign there. He was going to overthrow the Roman government. So when Jesus started talking about going away, they didn't really understand this until Jesus got arrested. He got beaten and, and he was crucified. The disciples were so used to Jesus fighting their battles and Jesus wasn't about to desert them. So Jesus promised them another alos, another, the same type of helper. Now, let's jump down to verse 26 in John chapter 14 and look at that verse a little more closely. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Helper, the Holy Spirit will help. And that's what he does. He helps. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, all that Jesus has said. Some of the most influential people in my spiritual life have been scholars, 
have been professors like Dr. Bruce Boulogne, who's going to be sharing with us in the month of July, people who know the original languages of the Bible, Hebrew and Greek, and also Aramaic and other things that they've used to study, and they know all the history, and they all know the depth and the richness and all that scholarly type stuff. But I've also had people in my life who have influenced me just as tremendously, who have very little Bible training. Very little Bible training. And in college, I went to a Bible study that was led by a granny. And this granny, she did graduate from high school, but that's it. No schooling after that. She got married right after high school, and and she had kids, and she just loved them, prayed for them, taught them the Bible. But she didn't have any formal biblical training or anything like that. And the spiritual words that were coming out of her mouth were so transformative to me. They were so life-giving to me. And she was definitely helped by the Spirit. The Bible says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. She was taught by the Holy Spirit. I mean, what better teacher can you have? No formal training. And it confirms what John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We don't need people to teach us nearly as much as we need the Holy Spirit abiding in us. More than hearing the Bible taught, we need to study the Word of God with the Holy Spirit, with us opening up our minds for the Holy Spirit to teach us about everything as we read the Bible. And the Holy Spirit will teach and lead us to what is true. And when you hear people teach the Bible, compare it to the Bible. What is coming out of my mouth is not necessarily true unless it lines up with the Bible. If it is not, it is not true. Do not accept it. So whenever you hear a teaching, is what people are teaching, is that in the Bible? Is that in the text that you are reading? And it's not to say that people aren't important in teaching the Word of God. We know that they are. Paul wrote about this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So we know that Bible teachers are important. But haven't you met the Bible teacher or the scholar who knows the Bible, but their life is not in line with a spirit-filled life, but they know all about the Bible? And with some of them, you may even wonder if they are even a Christian. Can one be saved or born again without the Holy Spirit? No, you cannot. Unless the Holy Spirit bears witness of the truth in our lives, we aren't going to be changed. There isn't transformation without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us the Bible. He helps us understand the scriptures in a much deeper way, not just as a textbook. It is beyond knowledge. It is beyond intellect. It is transformative because we can just study this as a textbook, just like any other textbook. We need the Holy Spirit for him to change us because of what we are reading and what we are studying and having this be a dynamic work that is coming into us and changing us and molding us. Have you ever wondered what the author's motives were or their intentions were in writing what they wrote in the Bible? 
because they're dead and you can't ask them and they probably didn't record all of that all the time. And if you have those types of questions when you're reading the Bible, ask the Holy Spirit. He knows. He helped them write it. So we ask the Holy Spirit and he'll answer you. We have the author of the Bible and he's only a prayer away and he's not AT&T, so you'll never have a dropped call. So um, you can ask him. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And we see examples of the Holy Spirit in action like this in the book of Acts. How the Holy Spirit taught and brought to remembrance all that is in the scriptures to the disciples. And let's take a look at one of these disciples. Let's take a look at Peter, who used the scriptures extensively in his ministry. The Holy Spirit obviously taught him and brought scriptures to remembrance for him. In Acts chapter 2, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And let's pick up the story. Acts chapter 2, verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Did you catch that? And then Peter shares Joel's prophecy. But he doesn't just stop with Joel. He also moves into the Psalms and he brings David into the teaching beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 25. And then we take another look at another person who uses the scriptures extensively. We get to chapter 6 of Acts and we meet a guy named Stephen. Picking up in verse 8, Acts chapter 6. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of freed men, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those of Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not understand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Who was Stephen? Stephen was a deacon of the early church. He was not a scholar. He was not a Pharisee. He was not a scribe. He is just a guy that was studying the Bible, reading the Bible, learned from these guys. But the scholars, these guys who knew their stuff very well, they couldn't understand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. So they instigated Stephen, and they brought him before the council, and they set up false witnesses to testify against him and accusing him of blasphemy and, and against Moses and God. And what did Stephen do? He goes back to the scriptures. And what he does is in Acts chapter 7, and essentially what he does is he goes from Genesis through the prophets, and he schools them. And so he proved to them how blind their forefathers were, which is a very insulting thing to do with guys. It's kind of like in our community here, it's like yo mama, right? But back then it's yo papa. So it's kind of like this. And so they were following in their dad's footsteps and he used the story of Joseph. How Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, but God would redeem the evil of the brothers through Joseph who would save his family. And how Joseph was recognized not the first time, but the second time. You remember this story? 
And so when he was recognized the second time that they saw Joseph, that he was in this mighty position, and they rejected what God had planned originally, and they tried to get rid of Joseph when Joseph shared with them the dreams that he had, you know, that the things were bowing down to him and stuff like that, and the brothers. So they were mad, and so they rejected Joseph the first time, but the second time, they recognized him. And the same thing for Moses. God chose Moses to lead the Israelites, but they rejected him the first time. So he took off for 40 years before making his way back, and it wasn't until the second time around that the Israelites recognized that Moses was indeed their leader. And so Stephen masterfully crafts this argument to illustrate what they've done to Jesus. It's the same thing your forefathers did to Joseph, to Moses. You guys did to Jesus. You didn't recognize him the first time around. And the second time, you will recognize him. And so Stephen told them that they were just like their forefathers, and you guys are blind. And so now they are really upset because he did a yo papa thing, and he also is saying, like, you're just as dumb. And so let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired and crafted that masterful message that he presented to scholars. Full of biblical truths from Genesis all throughout the prophets. And Jesus warned his disciples of this in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Holy Spirit will help. The Holy Spirit is a helper. He helped Peter. He helped Stephen. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we've read and we've looked at the Holy Spirit teaching us the things of God. The truth in the word of God. Now, let's take a look at another thing that the Holy Spirit does for us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. 
And to do that, we're going to look at the book of Acts. And let's turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. Let me read this for us. And while he was staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus was talking about. And what do the disciples ask in verse 6? So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? If I were Jesus, I'd be like, oh my gosh, you're so dense. What are you not understanding? I don't get it. And I would be so frustrated. I'd be like, what in the world? I just told you the Holy Spirit is going to rock your world. And you're saying like, when are you going to be in the kingdom throne, Jesus? And they're like, ah, I just want to pound you really hard and then heal you and make you forget what I just did to you. But this really isn't entirely their fault, right? This isn't entirely their fault because Jesus was talking to them for 40 days about the kingdom. Before he said this, right, he was with them and he was talking about the kingdom with them. So, I mean, I can't totally fault them. But how did Jesus address their question so unlike me about pounding them and healing them, making them forget? How did he do it? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then Jesus focused them back to the baptism of the Holy Spirit in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, Jesus wanted them ready. He wanted them ready for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he was going to empower them to be Jesus' witnesses to the entire world. And it was going to start with this group of people. And we know this to be true in history because you and I were here. And it was because of that. It was because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit back then in Jerusalem. And we know this happened because it's recorded in Acts. And also, you and I are here. The early Christian church did this in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. It wasn't like starting everywhere. It was just this city. And it wasn't until the Christians were persecuted that they were forced to move into the rest of Judea. And then they started being witnesses there. And then they started to see the evidence of the gospel in Judea. And we can read that evidence in Acts chapter 2. And then they went to Samaria. And we see the early church move out to Samaria starting in Acts chapter 8. So we see this movement. Philip goes there in Acts chapter 8 verse 5. And then lastly... The end of the earth. And we see this happen in Acts chapter 13. So we see this movement of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, end of the earth in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 13 verses 2 and 3, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, the same Saul that the people were putting their garments down at the feet at Stephen's stoning. It's that guy. For the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And it was from that moment that they became witnesses to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 13. Especially Paul as evidence in his missionary journeys that are recorded for us in the Bible. 
Being Jesus' witnesses to the world, all over the world, was all done through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was not Paul the man himself. It was being empowered by the Holy Spirit that made it possible for the gospel to go everywhere from Jerusalem. That it's now here, the other side of the world, 2,000 years later. And when people think of witnessing, most of the time we think about witnessing and communicating in a verbal way. That we have to say something. That we have to have a dialogue. That witnessing is about talking to someone about themselves in the form of a testimony or sharing the Bible or sharing about Jesus or sharing about the salvation and steps to faith and all this stuff or about everlasting life. and Whatever it is that we have to talk about those things. But witnessing is more than verbal communication. It's also nonverbal. Because a nonverbal witness can be more compelling in communicating to someone about Jesus than even telling them about Jesus. Isn't that true? You know that saying, a picture is worth a thousand words? How we live our lives as followers of Jesus speaks volumes in regards to our witness. And if you're not sure of what to say in witnessing to others about your faith, Live it in front of them. You don't have to say a thing. Live it. Life as Jesus lived. And let others see what Jesus has done in your life. How you live is a much more powerful witness than what you say. And so sometimes we complicate things about witnessing or sharing the gospel or evangelism because we feel we don't know enough of the Bible. We don't know the Roman road. We don't know the four laws. We don't know all these types of things to share the gospel. And so we don't do it at all because we don't think that we know enough. Let me encourage those of you who feel this way. It's who we are. It's how we live more than it is what you know. Because you can have all the logical answers and you can have all the reasonable arguments and defenses to give someone who is skeptical towards Jesus. But if you are a jerk, it doesn't matter how much you know. You're a jerk. So it doesn't matter how well you debate. It doesn't matter that you have all this biblical knowledge and you're just spewing out the Bible and you have solid defenses and you're a jerk. Jerkness trumps all your knowledge. You know what matters? That who we are matches up with who Jesus is. That's what matters. And that our testimony matches up with our lives that we are claiming to be a witness and that it matches up to that claimed witness. That's witnessing. It's not just what you're saying. And when who we are is in harmony with our testimony in Jesus, and people can see that, that there isn't a dissonance when we're talking about peace or love or joy, yet that's not in us. You know, we're talking about peace and everything's a mess in our personal life, and we're just, you know, and we're talking about joy, but you walk around so grumpy, and it's like, are you sure? And you're talking about love, but your relationship with your spouse and your children is not matching up with that. People can see that. It doesn't matter what you know and what you say when they can see that. Do they see Jesus in you? That is a true witness. Paul told Timothy this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. 
Set the believers and example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Witnessing is being an example. Right? Witnessing is being an example of what the Holy Spirit is doing within us, just as Paul was exhorting Timothy to do. Set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And in the Bible, we see examples of this. We see it in the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 20, he gathers the elders in Ephesus, and he's there to tell them, essentially, that he has bore witness of Jesus in his life. Right? That he's done it. And we see it in Jesus himself, who is known as the faithful and true witness, as it tells us in Revelation chapter 3. If you ever want to get a glimpse of God, all you have to do is you look at Jesus. Because Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So if you ever want to get a look at God, look at Jesus. God wants us to be witnesses of him for the way we live life to be like his. And if he were us, how would that life be lived? As we encounter people, hopefully they'll be able to see God in us. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal or screeching brakes. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And then Paul writes about what love is. How are we doing? Does our life match up with what we profess? How is our witness, is who we are, matching up to what we say or claim? And it's so challenging, isn't it? It's so difficult. And Paul totally understands this. He wrote about this in Romans chapter 7. Starting in verse 15, I relate so much to this, and I think a lot of us do. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Amen, Paul, my brother. Like, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who can't relate to that? Right? We are living in these bodies of death. A body that wants to rebel, a body that wants to live in the flesh and does not want to submit to the Holy Spirit. And what Paul wrote is so true. Because who can't relate to this? 
I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I mean, that's every day for me. All the fleshly appetites we have that battle what we know to be right and what we know to be good all the time. And what a conflict between the spirit and the flesh. And our spirit just battles this and it thirsts for God, as we talked about last week. But there are these appetites that pull us from our desires of the spirit. Jesus totally understands this. In Mark chapter 14, verse 38, he said, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we know this firsthand. Our spirit desires God to be right with God, but there's this flesh, there's this body, and and there's this constant battle between the spirit and the flesh. And Paul wrote about this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The only thing that can overcome the flesh is walking by the Spirit. And Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit is the only way to bear true witness to Jesus. It's the only way. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You can't be Jesus' witness without walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see a biblical example of this again in our friend Peter. Peter wanted to do the right things, but he couldn't. He lacked the power of the Holy Spirit earlier on in the ministry of when he was following Jesus. And so let's take it back to the Last Supper. And so after they had that last supper, they went down to the Mount of Olives. And let's pick up this story in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. They're in the Mount of Olives, which is still there in Jerusalem. Some of those trees are over 2,000 years old. So maybe some of those trees are where Jesus prayed. And hopefully we get a chance to go back there sometime. Starting in verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Peter and all the disciples wanted to be faithful witnesses to Jesus. I don't believe at all that they were lying or that they did not really desire this. They really wanted to follow Jesus. They really did not want to deny Jesus, especially Peter. Peter did not want to do this. Peter did not want to reject Jesus. But what happened? Picking up in verse 69, Matthew 26. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. 
Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You see that conflict that Paul was writing about in Romans chapter 7? Peter genuinely wanted to follow Jesus. He was so sincere in his faith. He, he wanted so badly to be there with Jesus. His spirit indeed was willing, but his flesh was weak. Now, fast forward several weeks from this point, and we encounter a totally different Peter, a heteros Peter. Same religious leaders in Jerusalem who interrogated Jesus. Same ones. And in chapter 4 of Acts, these same leaders are the ones who are, are interrogating now Peter. Peter was outside the courtyard before, and now he's in the middle of this interrogation. And so Peter, a few weeks before, was like this. And now, Acts chapter 4, he's standing up to them. Back in Matthew 26, he couldn't even talk with some adolescent girls. And now he's in front of the religious council who has the power to kill him, just like they did with Jesus. Romans really had the power, but they can influence that. Now picking up in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter. You see this Peter? He's a totally different guy. Why the change? Because of what Jesus promised. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Peter went from junior high girl phobia to powerful witness of Jesus to the very religious leaders who weeks before put Jesus on the cross. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a gift of God to empower us to live as witnesses for Jesus. You see what happened to Peter? And when that power happens to share that witness with others, what we say what we share communicates just as loudly as who we are and how we live. And we see Peter's witness again later in Acts chapter 4 when Peter was ordered by the religious leaders not to speak of Jesus anymore or to teach about Jesus anymore. But he and John replied this, starting in verse 19, Acts chapter 4. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now skip down to verse 29. 
And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Filled with the Holy Spirit, which gave them power to speak the word of God with boldness. To witness with boldness. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to conquer the weaknesses of our flesh. If you are questioning the power of your witness, invite the Holy Spirit to fill your life and to empower you. He will. He will. If you are questioning your own witness to be able to share the gospel, and it's more than just words, to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit in boldness to share your witness, Let's all pray that for our church because I'd love for us to move from this Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you please fill us with your power to empower us to be witnesses of your gospel to serve your kingdom. Father, some of us, our spiritual lives are kind of dry. Holy Spirit, would you breathe life into that? Would you shake things up a little bit? Would you reveal yourself to those folks in a more tangible way? How badly our Jerusalem right here in Oakland needs the Holy Spirit. So Lord, please fill us and let it overflow from us so that everyone we come in contact with and encounter, they see Jesus in us. And what we say matches up to what they see. In Jesus' name, amen.